that's my whole philosophy with the, the sandals. We want to make footwear that complements rather than corrects your feet. It's a really simple concept. In this week's episode, Nick catches up with Josh Stiles from Sharma Sandals, kicking off an exciting new chapter in our story. As we continue our mission to empower our listeners and change how we all think about our feet, we're thrilled to announce Sharma as our very first natural footwear partner. We rigorously test the shoes of all our partners to ensure they deliver on what they promise. As you're about to hear, Sharma is a brand that's at the forefront of crafting genuine foot-shaped sandals that embody the true essence of natural movement and foot health. So why are we teaming up with brands like Sharma? Because our missions are intertwined. Both of us are driven by the belief that footwear should be an extension of ourselves, allowing us to move freely, naturally, and comfortably. And it's about time that we, as a society, relearn the importance of treating our feet right. By partnering with leading brands in the natural footwear space, we aim to bring you exclusive insights, stories, and opportunities to make that switch to a healthier foot lifestyle while delivering leading TFC foot health education straight into the shoeboxes of footwear customers. As part of the new partnership, Sharma are offering all TFC community members 10% off their shoes if you use the code THEFOOTCOLLECTIVE, one word. You'll find the link in the show notes. Now to the episode. Beautiful. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to TFC's Restore to Explore podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Nick, and today I'm hosting a conversation with Josh, who is the founder and owner of Shama Sandals. So, Josh, thank you for being here, taking the time to share the story and the work that you do at Shama uh, with our global foot health community. Well, thanks for having me. It's it's an honor to be on the show. I really appreciate what you guys are doing at the Foot Collective, and I've been following for a number of years, and uh, just honored to be on here, hanging out with you guys. Amazing. Well. I mean, I can proudly say that Shamas are my go-to piece of footwear when it comes to everyday foot protection. And I think really what you've created, the product you put out there in the world is the epitome of utilitarian foot protection, which is like function, pure function, uh, high quality, well-made, works well, fits well, feels good. And um, yeah, really excited to dive in and you know share the story of how Shama came to be where it is today. And everyone listening, you know, it's a perfect illustration of just what you do and what you stand for, where when I first got on the call with Josh, he was literally in the warehouse where people are making the shoes. And now he's in the cab of his truck because it was just too noisy because people are actually doing the work to make the shoes that they sell, which is, um, I think just a, I don't know, it's like an OG move to speak to someone who is <laughs> on the floor of the warehouse making the shoes instead of in an office behind the scenes. So, um, yeah, why don't we start with the inception story of Shama? Like where, you know, when did you start the project? What was the motivation? Um, and, you know, like bring us through a little bit of history of where you started uh, and where you are today. Um, I would love to hear it. Can Before I get to that, can I like double back to what you said? Um, some people ask about, I think it's just a good point. And it really speaks to, I think, why people like Shamas or maybe you were in like, I appreciate the the kind words about him, but it's because of the time spent with the product, making the product. And it has been a hard, it's a hard <laughs> road to go and maybe not the smartest, but <laughs> 10 years. I mean, we just moved into this facility a little over a year ago Before that I was in my house. Um, you know, I had 
built various things to like contain Shama around the house. And uh, it's a little crazy, uh, but you know, it's completely 100% been bootstrapped from the beginning. Started out with a tarp, uh, literally a tarp on the side of my house. And uh, I'll just share part of the origin really quick. Um, my, I had this, uh, I was doing construction. Like it's one of the things I've done um, uh, to support my family over the years. And like I went to seminary also. That was a good chunk of my life. I actually went twice, once, once for master's in marriage and family therapy, once for a, a degree in biblical theology. And, um, during those, the course of that time, you know, you got to provide for your kids. I have four daughters and I used to, you know, pick up the old tool belt and build for people and remodel and stuff like that. And I was actually working for my wife's uncle at the time. I had this little project. He wanted this retaining wall built. And when I was first starting Shama, I was, um, getting measurements for people's feet and he looked. Uh, he, so I measured him. This is a guy, well, he's like a career guy, you know, worked at IBM and Hitachi, all these places has his retirement lined up. And here I am, you know, like building his wall in the back of his house and like asking to measure his feet. <laughs> and he's like, uh, so what are you going to do with those? And I'm like, I'm going to sell them. And he just looked at me like, <laughs> I was a little slow. We'll just put it like that. <laughs> He was just dumbfounded, like, I'm going to actually try and sell them. But part of that is that, you know, I, I don't think I could be that guy with the easy career path. Um, I'm not built that way. And um, I just saw an opportunity. I had, like, previous to that, maybe three years before, I had seen somebody wearing Vibram five fingers out at the softball field. And I thought he was wearing booties. I'm in Santa Cruz, California. And in Santa Cruz, uh, we're known for surfing. We are like, we're about 80 miles yeah, south of San Francisco in Monterey Bay. And this is like a surfing Mecca. Um, you have Jack O'Neill who started O'Neill surfing. It all like happened here. And so you see people wearing like, I was like, was this guy wearing booties out on the softball field? And that's all I could think at the time. And so then I, um, you know, I looked into it and it just made total sense. I consider myself not a great athlete, but an athlete, somebody that's always participated in sports, you know, baseball and soccer, football, things like that. And, you know, I was playing in a competitive league and like, why would you be playing in a competitive league in booties? In any case, I looked into it. I love the concept. It's always, it's sports. It's always about your technique, your training and your technique. So it just made sense to me that, oh my goodness, I've been overlooking this aspect of my feet forever. And, um, I feel like I really started to learn how to run like in my thirties and I'm 43 now. So about 13 years ago, like, like, oh yeah, I've been playing sports my whole life. I should, I should have learned how to run. <laughs> it's, it's so foundational to everything you do. Um, uh, in any case, that's kind of where it, where it started. And from there, I just fell in love with it. Um, started ripping the insoles out of shoes and um, doing all kinds of dumb things that a lot of us did at the beginning. Um, you know, I read Born to Run, super inspired. And uh, I, so that's kind of how it happened for me. 
in the last 13 years here is basically a blur. <laughs> <laughs> Says every business owner out there. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I love that it started with you just as a tinkerer and solving a problem that you had um, with, you know, like the first pair of shoes, like, when did you decide to make shoes? Like what made you, was it you couldn't find the right shoes or people were asking you for shoes and you couldn't find them? Like what made you want to make shoes? Did you start by just making them for yourself and then got asked by people to make them for them? Like I'd love to, yeah. Do you remember that I, part of it? I think I'm a cheapskate really. <laughs> um, and so I found a way to spend every bit of money that I've ever had. You know, I'm making somebody, right? It's finally, you know, it's doing better than it's ever done. But, um, uh, well, what happened was my first experience, like right after uh, seeing this guy wearing booties was I was literally tearing things out of, like insoles out of shoes. Um, we had this store, a local store called Mervyn's back in the day. And it was just like Kohl's, like modern. I don't know if you guys have Kohl's up there. It's just a department store um, that they would have at a lot of the malls around here. And my mom would get us these in our stocking at Christmas. She would give us these moccasins, these like cheap moccasins. And they had a little thin, like a slipper basically. But they had this thin layer of a sole. If you took out the padding on the inside, it was literally only like three millimeters thick at the most. And so I put those on and I ran our local running, like it's called West Cliff. And it's like where everyone's going to run and exercise and all that. And I was running in moccasins, you know, just doing whatever I could to, to, to get the footwear. So this was like around 2010, 11 and you know, it was like Vibram Five Fingers. Merrill had not released the Trail Glove yet till the following spring. I didn't even know about Vivo Barefoot. I probably would have bought some of those. But it was pretty early on, man. And I think about like what's available now. There's so much good stuff. And so I was just trying to do whatever I could and being cheap and just figuring it out, making sense of it. And then by that following spring, I had my trail gloves. I was like one of the first people to order. And I hate to say it, uh, Meryl, but you ruined the trail glove. Um, it is, a, it's not even the same thing. It was so good. And yeah. that's probably why it's ruined. Um, and the same thing happened with the free, right? Like I think the intentions initially are sometimes pure and they make a great product. And then they sort of dilute away from the pureness of what they tried to create because, you know, whether it's like in order to sell the trail glove, you got to unsell all the other shoes or whatever the case may be. Um, I really do think it's this situation where all the current footwear companies simply aren't incentivized to embark on the natural footwear path because it's so fundamentally different um, in terms of how you make the shoes and so fundamentally different in terms of philosophy that it's really hard to straddle both those worlds. And so I, you know, in one respect, it's frustrating, but also in the other respect, it creates this like, um, opportunity for all these small little seeds to grow all these individual companies who are smaller, more nimble, uh, innovative, right. Who have this hunger to create products that people want. And I think as people learn about foot health, the market for natural footwear grows. And I think it's going to start growing exponentially. I've certainly seen it through TFC where it's like the marketing for natural shoes is not advertising and athletes. It's actually education. And as people become more educated, there's this increasing desire to have natural footwear. And it's like 
once you go to natural footwear, no one goes to natural shoes and goes back to shoes that destroy their feet. It's just, it's like a one way ticket. Right. Um, and <laughs> well, it's break, it's exploding the paradigm, like you're yeah. saying, and you're right. And it's this wonderful moment of disruption. I think you're totally spot on when you talk about, uh, just even the way the shoes are made because of the foam, like, like it's, it's so different the whole construction method, everything. I mean, not that they can't retool, but if they, it's like, if they acknowledge it, they've got to give up. I mean, they don't have to, that's the sad thing. Like, right. They could, they could have just, you know, had their different versions and let people choose, but it is so drastically different. And I think their whole model is probably built on it. Um, when you consider again, going back to like the foam and the manufacturing facilities that are over. And that's another thing, just me personally, I, I cannot stand that so much of our manufacturing has been shipped to who knows where. Yep. Um, and, and, and like, and not even getting into like the labor issues around it. Like are people being treated well, you know, are you spilling toxic material out into the environment? Like all those things, when you keep those things close, then you will be responsible with them. Yep. You have to be, it forces you to. And it's like, <laughs> but you know why they ship it over there so they don't have to be responsible and make it you know make their money and all that well they also they it, offshore the pollution to somewhere that isn't their home right i think this is sure. this is one thing i want to get into after so i don't want to dwell too much on that but even sure. just from okay so you were one of the first to have the trail gloves um merrill you need to bring back the pureness of the trail glove because you wrecked it yes. and it's no longer a natural shoe um and and that, so where did the first, where did the first pair of OG Josh towels, Shamas get created and where, okay. and where did things go from there? So, so it's like that point until today, which is like a big evolution path. And I do want to get into some of the nitty gritty questions of like, that's yeah, not, you know, do. if it's a blur and it's not a straightforward path without challenges, I'm curious to dive into what are the challenges, you know, what have you learned, all that kind of stuff. But you have the trail gloves. When do you make your first pair of sandals? And then the condensed cold notes version of that point until where you're at today. How does that path look? Like, I'm just so curious. Okay. So the first sandal was actually my father-in-law because my father-in-law is down for any, like, um, any sort of like alternative health, um, whatever, whether it's exercise or food or medicine, all that kind of stuff. And I told him about the barefoot thing. And he's like, yeah, I can't just tell he was ready to dive right in. And this is the guy you're building a retaining wall for, right? No, this is my father-in-law. That was my, uh, my wife's uncle. Gotcha. Just for the people at home, keeping notes so they can, (laughs) (laughs) there'll be a test afterwards. So anyways, my father-in-law, he hates this story. I, I rat him out here. He worked for the water department here. And I like to say he stole a sheet of, they, if you're, you've got these huge pipes, that if they break, um, they put this big sheet of rubber on it and a, and a clamp to, you know, stop it. So he brought a sheet of that home, right? He was a great employee, worked for decades there, retired with honors, but I always say he stole it. So anyways, he, he goes on to, um, it used to be invisible shoes back then, zero shoes. And he, uh, I'm going to name drop a few of these companies and he, uh, looked at Steve Sashin's method of you know, tying. So he got some paracord from the hardware store and we tied, uh, punched the holes and tied it up. And I was watching him. I was like, man, he's so smart. He knows what he's doing. Um, he knows the whole secret to, you know, making these sandals. 
And uh, I wore them on West Cliff Drive, you know, just like the moccasins. They were awful, man. It was just like <laughs> slap, 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 and like flopping around. I just felt it's like jarring in your bones and all that. I'll give you a little secret here. I think that um, one of the concepts that's just like huge in my mind in terms of the footwear is that the sandal has or horseshoe or whatever has to be an extension of your foot. I believe that a human, if they do not find, uh, like you watch a gymnast when they stick a landing, they push in because they don't until, until the body basically says, I found something firm. It feels like it's falling and says, I can't lift up yet because I haven't gone all the way down. I can't lift up. So if your shoes are providing an extra quarter inch of, of distance between you and the ground, it's like, there's that first hit. And then your body's still waiting for the second hit. So it's still tensed up. The sandals have to be, and the shoes have to be like an extension of your, of your body. And so that's like a critical piece in my, my whole design or what I'm shooting for that kind of thing. Hmm. So in any case, Mike, um, uh, the thief, the, my father-in-law, let's say he, he borrowed made, it for his own health betterment, which betters yes. the company. So it's, it's okay, Mike. <laughs> So he makes me these sandals. They're terrible. And I'm just like, ah, I'm not doing that again. And I put those away and um, I bought some five fingers, some KSOs and absolutely loved them. I was just, I was learning to run. I was running way too much. And that's the other thing. Like I come at this from, I still run well over a thousand miles a year, 1200 miles, 1300, 14, 15. It just depends on what I'm testing and how it's going, but it's a big piece of my life. So for me, it was always running the athlete, the sport thing, but most people, it's just like I'm hiking or I'm walking and I'm getting my feet healthy. But for me, it's always been this running thing. So I was running a ton, switched my footwear. My calves were just on fire all the time for like six months because they were, they were working so much harder than they'd ever worked and, uh, and doing all that. And then I got my trail gloves, loved them, but the dirty little secret with the five fingers. I don't think it's a secret anymore. They just stink to high heavens because your feet have that bacteria. You put them in there and you can't wash them, maintain them enough. That's my biggest qualm with them. They look a little weird, whatever, but that's probably the worst thing about them. And so it became springtime. It was June, I think, and May, June. And I looked to Luna they made this sandal back then it was called the Equus and it was a sheet of Vibram, um, more flex, which we still sell to this day in like chargers and, um, in our cruiser line and super Browns, but, uh, it's just six millimeters of Vibram foam. And they had this stretchy Vibram rubber, right? not foam. Uh, well, when I say it's actually a combination, okay. um, so think about like on one end, you've got, I think Morflex is a very soft, like open cell material all the way over to like Vibram Cherry, which is basically going to be pure rubber. Gotcha. And then anything in between. And that'll change the way, you know, the sandal feels on your foot, all that stuff. But basically, um, so I, I'm, I bought those and they had this elastic long elastic covered in leather and you just tied it around your foot and there was a little bow tie and the tied a knot under where the the toe hole goes and they were amazing it was just like i'd start running in them 
I'm like, should I really be doing this? My foot's totally exposed. I'm going into the mountains three miles. And then the next time I'm like, I'm going to try four. I'm going to try five. And they just stuck with my foot so well. And every like 20, 30 miles, the little knot on the bottom would break off. And I would, who knows where you are when the knot breaks, yeah. right? I was at the county fair one time and, a, and the knot broke. And like, all right, I just took my teeth and I tore it open and tied a new knot. <laughs> Just, you know, I'll do dumb things like that. Um, you call them case, dumb. I call them smart and resourceful because it's like when, <laughs> when you have to make it work, it's good to have, be, have the resources to creatively problem solve. Otherwise, you're, <laughs> you don't get to wear shoes. <laughs> you don't get to wear shoes. So I probably tasted a little bit of the, um, of the county fair in my mouth on that one, unfortunately. Nice. But, you know, I'm wearing these things. It kind of culminated in that whole summer running. Um, I did this great trip with my wife for our anniversary that year. It was like seven years. Now we're almost on to 20. And, um, and we did this, we were at uh, Lake Tahoe here in California. And we did this 14 miles of like hiking or two miles of hiking, uh, swimming, and then another like nine miles of running in the mountains. And I was just like, this is incredible. Hmm. This is so good. That's what I want to do. I just want to be able to you know, move through life and, and it go on adventures and all that kind of stuff. And these sandals were helping me do it. And they were just, it was so great to have my feet out in the open. So from that point on, but the thing, the thing that got me was like, they were 60 bucks and I go $60 for literally a sheet of material. And, and this is stupid because now I've spent all this money, invested all this and I have sandals that are just as expensive as the next guy and all that. But you don't have to keep uh, tying them with your teeth and money's not worth what it used to be. So it's not a fair comparison. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Our money's worth a fraction of what it was. That's probably 200 bucks these days after, you know, the exactly. past five years. So you're still way under that. <laughs> oh, what a mess. What a mess. I know. I feel bad. I'll just throw this out. I feel bad to everyone. But yeah, I mean, it's like in the last year and a half or we've had material price increases on everything like three and four times. It's just crazy. Yep. It's totally crazy. So, um, but from that time, it took me a couple years where I was just trying to like, um, make my own sandals and like be in a cheapskate and trying to repair it and this, that, and the other. And after a couple years, I said, you know what? And I did make some for some people and I was always preaching the gospel of minimalist shoes and uh and barefoot running and I'd get people to run with me and all that and then at some point I was like you know what Josh you got to take a shot at this just do it um and so that that was like about two or three years later I was bugging my wife to sew for me all the time I set up my little tarp I had a shelf and I would just sell to whoever I could I talked to my my uh I had a friend who was a graphic designer and I made a deal with him to I'd give him a, a certain amount from each sandal and uh, sale and he would get me set up online and uh Daniel if you're listening you know we uh, he's doing other things now but for a lot of years he was like the backbone of Shama on all of that kind of stuff and, and getting making it a po- uh, a product that people could purchase online and making it accessible and help me helping me bring it to life and so many people so many people that work for me and currently work for me that um, you know, that's kind of the, that was part of the other goal is just to have something that we could all, uh, work on together. I think that in life you need to, um, 
you're never going to escape work. Uh, so embrace it. And if you do that, you'll be a lot happier. Um, cause it's, it's always going to be there. So anyway, I'm hopefully I'm answering your question. No, you're good. This, so, is, this is tremendous. Keep going. Okay. So, um, on that path, I just want to say that I took the approach. It's scary when you first launch the sandal. I basically took the approach that I had the product in a, in a usable way. It's never where you want it to be. Even to this day, there are so many things that I want to improve and new iterations and all of that. But I, we started with what was saleable at the time. Um, and looking back on it, it wasn't that great. It was hand cut, but to all you entrepreneurs out there, just do it, just sell it. It, it, it hurts sometimes. I tell people the first year I did Shama, I wanted to quit six days a week. Hmm. And the next year it was, I only wanted to quit five. So that was an improvement and so on and so forth. I think. I only had a few of those bad days last year and, you know, there's less all the time. Um, but it's, it's hard. You, you're putting yourself out there and your ideas and your products. But I basically took the idea, you know, I was in, like I mentioned, I was in construction and my, my philosophy in construction was, you know, if there's, and this is just how it is, you have to adapt all the time. You don't know, um, you know, there'll be a new product or a new procedure or whatever, a new tool. You just have to learn to use it. And so now I had to learn how to use a sewing machine, right? Uh, now I had to learn to use a clicker press, or now we had to like solve the problems to, uh, produce the sandal. Right. And you just, you just kind of got to figure it out. And so I use that experience of not getting stuck, I think is the main thing, not getting stuck on new problems and procedures in construction and, and taking the attitude. It was really just the attitude over to, um, over to the sandal making. Cause I, I did not go to design school for shoes and I did not, um, you know, I had very little contact with any like apparel manufacturing or whatever. That's not me. Yeah. You learned by um, doing. And I think there's, so much value in what you're saying beyond just shoes or sandals or foot health. It's like just the, the little nuggets of wisdom there for people, entrepreneurs who are, you know, I think I heard Elon Musk say that starting a company is like chewing on glass and falling into the abyss. Um, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not for the faint hearted. It's not for people who are unable to persevere or easily discouraged. It involves a lot of risk. Um, those who persevere, those who don't give up succeed. And sometimes people yeah. have to, have a lot of setbacks and surely a lot of challenges. But I think just this notion that if you know what you're doing uh, is a value, uh, like you said, we're never going to escape work. And I don't even think, I think the aspiration of trying to not work is actually doesn't end up in a joyful state of being. Oh. It's more like, how can you find more meaning and joy in the work you're doing? And how can you turn work into play and still do work was and still solve problems? Because really starting a business is signing on to the never ending process of constantly solving new problems that you have no idea how to solve initially, but you'll learn how to do that. And so, yeah, I just think that's a lot of really good, good little nuggets for people starting a business of any type that I think hold true. And I've certainly found, um, the same thing. So you know what it's like to, you know what it's like, Yeah, you don't know what you're going to get hit with the next day, but you have, you know, you'll somehow withstand it, yep. but you know, like, okay, what, what shoe is dropping tomorrow? Uh, no pun intended, <laughs> yeah. you know? So you start sewing, 
you start learning how to use these new tools. You got your tarp built out. You're making sandals. You got someone to help you with the back end, the tech side, gain your exposure. Um, and you know, if you if you fast forward, you know, without going too deep into it till today, um, you know, like what what were your big milestones? Like when did you uh, and and did you say that before you're in your current location, you were come you were still in your home? I guess as it just uh, built out. It was in my yeah. So like that was an. Like that's like, there's so, there's so many stories. I'll just say that I built a, um, I took actually the lumber from that job I was telling you about with my, uh, my wife's uncle. Um, I had to do a bunch of forms. I built, I built this big retaining wall around their pool and stuff. And, and that was another one where I was, uh, I actually did all this sandstone on the, on the face of it. And I'd never done that before. You just got to learn it. Yep. It came out great, really good. But uh, I took some of the form boards and I built an awning over my on the side of my house. I had about 200 square feet. And then uh, a number of years later, I added another uh, 600 square feet, this big patio and, and this awning, you know, as the business grew. And, and we just literally found space every year, like find space inside the workshop and just pushed and pushed and pushed until like we couldn't be there any longer. Mm. Um, you know, that was part of what I did for better or worse. You know, that's just kind of how, how we did it and adding new equipment and machinery and, um, ask questions. You got to ask questions, people ready to help. They want to, um, but just ask and, uh, people will share their expertise all over the place. So and it's funny how probably along the way of like just finding space, like you said, finding space, which to me is just like, how do we get more efficient with this unit of space we yeah. have? It's like when you do move into a bigger space, you often end up being able to use space radically efficiently because of all those yeah. lessons you learn by through um, the constraints of just not having a lot of it. And so yeah. it's, it's funny how you probably operate this bigger space so much more efficiently, having gone through the iterative process of having to make do with less space than you need. Um, and I can just imagine how much of a well-oiled machine your current location is because of all those <laughs> lessons. I guess, I mean, it's definitely better than it would have been. Um, you know, we have all our growing pains too and, and we're, but yeah, I think, I think we're definitely, it, it certainly was a helpful experience and we're like battle hardened. Yeah. Um, you know, we're used to dealing with, uh, cramped spaces and a lot of orders and we have more space, but I don't think it's going to last too much longer at the current great trajectory that's great to hear man i'm so glad that yeah. you're you know a decade it's a decade right like that's a yeah that's a long time to like steward and nurture a seed that you planted and it's a lot of energy and effort but i think i always think of a business like planting a tree in nature yeah it's like there's a huge amount of love and energy that's needed to bring a seed to a little sprout and then to a sapling but there becomes yeah. this inflection point where in nature this abundance erupts out of uh, seemingly nowhere once things have matured and they're working like they're supposed to. And the tree takes over the all the role of of making sure it grows bigger into like a big, huge oak tree. Um, but it's the initial liftoff energy that you need to get to make sure it survives. Like the first yeah. hard winter is a really tough one, right? And maybe that's your biggest challenge as a company, your first big challenge. Um, and yeah, a decade of stewarding that seed. And it's great to know that now, you know, now it, it's not to say it's easy now, but at least, you know, it's great to know that you're having success coming. And I really think, I think we're stepping into a decade of, 
um, natural footwear awareness where just like we had athleisure with clothing, you know, we went from wearing clothing that was tight and we couldn't move very well. And then you have like athleisure kicks off. You have people wearing Lululemon comfy clothing that they can move in and feel good in. And that just kicks off like this decade shift in, in the clothing we wear. And I think we're, you know, footwear is a little bit behind the mark, but I think the clothing we wear on our feet, which is our footwear is primed uh, for this decade of growth, because people are starting to become aware of how important their feet are and how simple it can be to really understand what shoes to wear so that your feet don't get messed up. And, and I would even go so far as to say natural footwear heals people's feet basically just by just I, removing the things that were causing the harm in unnatural shoes. Um, and I fully agree with that. Yeah. I actually want to add to that. I think it's not just the footwear. I think it's like, there's something larger happening in my opinion. Mm. Um, you and I watched your, I did not know you had the podcast until I, someone mentioned it like, Hey, Anya mentioned you on, on uh, the foot collective podcast. I was so, so stoked, but you guys, when I watched it, you use the word human a lot. And I, I can't tell you how much that meant to me just to hear you guys using those terms. I think those are critical terms for humanity going forward. Like right now, I think that's a confluence of, of we're re, kind of re-examining our relationship to people like big pharma um the way we exercise i think is a big one food big agriculture um we're finding out that a lot of the food and i was not the guy that was worried about this kind of stuff a few years back even five years ago really even though i was already into the natural foot thing the barefoot thing but seeing that no there's problems in a lot of these industries there's a lot of corruption there's a lot of um things that are pulling people away from being a human mm. and in, in a lot of areas. And so, um, yeah, I just think it's a time when hope, I mean, again, I'm not a, what you'd call like a Luddite or something. I think technology has a great place. We use it all the time, but we have to really be careful as, as humanity to, to not get lost at if we're not as, if we're not happy and, and like our weight, isn't in check and you know if we're not able to move we're depressed all the time then maybe the technology is hurting us maybe it's time to step back a little bit and go i mean i have this theory like i personally um i'm pretty strict on my food in the last year or so and it's like I, i've had this progression for probably all close to a decade now of like the way i eat is better and better and uh, in my opinion <laughs> and um you know i'm not perfect or anything like that but um, I've, you know, I've had this progression with it, but I basically think that people are kind of waking up across the spectrum. And I think that the foot health is just a piece of that larger, oh, this is my point. I think if, and this is true of footwear, if you went back a hundred, I think people, if we literally just made our own food the way our ancestors made it a hundred years ago, 120 years ago, everybody would be much healthier. Yep just like drastically healthier because we drop all the processed stuff and then all the additives and all that kind of stuff. Even if it wasn't like needing the perfect diet plan or whatever, you could say the same thing about the shoes, whether it was running shoes or working shoes or whatever, they were flat, they were wider. Um, unless maybe you were a fashion Easter in Victorian, whatever, when they had the little pointy, like my grandma, liked the pointy shoes, but <laughs> ladder, no arch support, none of the foam, all that stuff. And, um, I guess maybe it was just more utilitarian, but 
we're at an inflection point, I think. I couldn't agree more. And I actually, last week I did two podcasts, one with Kelly Sturette, and he really focused on how we're exercising more than ever and we're sicker more than ever now. So there's there's, yeah. some, there's a piece we're missing. Um, and I also did a podcast with Zach Bush. And that, that one just like really profoundly affected me because he talked about that. He talked about this notion that we've gone from doctors and farmers healing people and growing food to the, both of those professions being uh, using chemicals to kill things, like to kill disease or to kill yeah. insects or parts of nature that are attacking our food because our soil is so weak. And so, yeah, both of those gentlemen gave me a lot of hope that we are at an inflection point. People are realizing that they need to take on more responsibility when it comes to their health. They need to take on more responsibility when it comes to understanding how to just take care of themselves, right? And that can, yeah. there is no, like you said, there's no perfect, there's only better. And I think if we all just take a bit more ownership for our process of learning, you know, what kind of shoes can I wear that actually are good for my feet? What kind of food can I eat that's better for my body and make me feel better? What kind of things can I do to make sure technology creep doesn't work its way in so that's damaging my health? Because I agree, I think technology is a beautiful thing. And it's almost like there will be times where technology gets out of balance and does more harm than good. And it's not about eliminating technology. It's improving our awareness no. of how to use technology for our benefit instead of being used by technology. Um, Which is exactly like, that's my whole philosophy with the, the sandals is I, I'm, I like to say that we want to make uh, footwear that complements rather than corrects your feet. Yes. It's a really simple concept, you know? Um, are we, the medial post is a, uh, a term or a technical term for arch support. You know, I mean, you can just eliminate the arch support and do a world of good for people. Um, so you're not working against them. Um, I think like, again, one of the things I love about our sandals and I love about Vibram and their soling material is it's not, at least the ones we use, they're just not too squishy. Like having a ton of squish in your it, it makes you search out the ground yep. and causes your feet to strain, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, just like not, just don't work against it. But there's a, I think like that's kind of been the problem and that's the awakening um, is that um, not everything that we kind of struggle against or work against in life is bad for us. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, I know it kind of goes without saying, but you know, we've just seen pro everything is a problem, but we, it's more like we just need to accept life the way it is on life's terms. And when we start to do that, we'll be happier and more comfortable. I mean, just think about, I, I took my, I'll tell you a little story from yesterday. We were actually at Yosemite. Uh, I took my family there because the waterfalls are going crazy. We had record snow hmm. and the melt at this time of year is producing insane volumes of water coming down the canyons of, of Yosemite National Park. And my number three daughter, who will remain nameless on this podcast, Perfect. had a had a terrible attitude. And she's a phenomenal athlete. She really is. And uh she could easily handle this thing, but she had a bad attitude all three thousand feet up to the top of Yosemite Falls. <laughs> that was, that's a lot of feet to have a bad attitude. <laughs> it was a lot of steps for a bad attitude. But she, like, she handled it, no problem. And we have a younger one, number four is seven. She had a great attitude and was just, you know, all the way up to the top. And when we got to the top and we started coming back down, like, her attitude changed and she had a light footstep and she was smiling and all that. And it's like, well, she could have done that on the way up. 
and her experience would have been a million times better. And uh, I think that's kind of the kind of the thing that we have to deal with. It's like, we got to just accept that the processed foods and all that kind of stuff and all these creature comforts, we just are, you know, that they're not actually going to make us happy. Yeah. Um, they actually make us diseased in the end. It's like the convenience of having food created in a factory that tastes ridiculous. Uh, amazing. Um, the cost, there's a biological cost to that. There's no free lunch. And I think, um, you know, back to what you were saying, it's like we manipulate our interaction with the world to be more comfortable with cushioning. And the problem is, is that disconnects us from the world around us in a way that makes our body use way more energy and in a way that doesn't allow our bodies to actually move efficiently, right? Like we can't absorb and store and re-release energy as well. If there's some surface manipulating that relationship between us and the ground and you know it's like oftentimes like my perspective of footwear is very simple our our feet are insane technology they're very high tech they're very advanced pieces um of our organism and all you have to do is protect the tech and i think the mindset has actually been well the shoes are the tech that enhance our feet and that's such yeah. a short-sighted way of, you know, it's such a misunderstood, <laughs> it demonstrates the misunderstanding and maybe the ego element of humans where it's like, we know better than a, yeah. a million years of trial and error and refinement to perfect technology. And when, when our bodies don't do what we want them to do, we blame the body, not the thing we're doing to stop the body from working well. And I think your sandals are just a beautiful demonstration of health by subtraction like take away the things that are causing our bodies to not work well and what you're left with is this pure input that ushers the body and nudges it back to its default settings which is healthy strong mobile well-functioning resilient um and everyone takes their own journey to get there right some people have to course correct by facing pain some people can do that through curiosity um but i think eventually everyone gets there and our hope with tfc is to make sure that the people who are ready to learn and understand have the tools and the resources available so that they can find brands like yours with as little friction as possible and with and, and while taking on as much understanding as possible so that they can use natural footwear to their benefit instead of being discouraged if they get sore feet or you know things that are part of the natural process but if people don't understand what that process is they might misinterpret it as saying these aren't good for me um yeah and yeah even just going into like whole like health with a capital h where it's like health of the individual health of the collective and health of like the whole our planet this idea that um you know you i'll even take a quote from your website because i think it's beautiful um located among the magnificent redwoods of santa cruz california our small home-based workshop strives to make the best minimalist footwear available everything is handmade hand sewn and tailored to your needs in a world where it's cheaper to make shoes overseas it it your costs go down your um you're you're just permitted luxuries by offshoring the pollution standards the labor costs everything by putting it offshore you can make shoes for cheaper why do you make yeah. shoes in the usa because i think it's something that doesn't you know and i was even talking to you in a conversation we had a little while ago this idea that when we sell our shoes at soul freedom which is our canadian natural footwear retailer 
we're going to put made in just like you see made in wherever on a clothing label. Yeah. It's written on shoes, but it's not often talked about. We're going to put made in on every shoe because we have manufacturers that make them in Portugal, in Vietnam, and you know, domestically in the United States, it costs a lot more to make a shoe domestically. Your labor costs are higher. You're you're paying humans yeah. that are have a living wage. You're paying um you you're having if you make shoes in your own neighborhood, you have to align with the way you have to align the way you make the shoes with being good for the environment, being good for the neighborhood. So why do you make shoes in the USA despite it being so much cheaper to do it offshore? I'd love to hear your take. Um, well, I'm so, I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it is a point of, of, I don't want like not in a pride in a, you know, like real proud egotistical way, but just a point of pride where you want to, be able to respect yourself and your product and i've always whether i could or i i've i've just kind of made things again i've done all the work myself you know when i was doing construction or when i was in school or or like just the idea of exercising i was i say that um you know no one can go on a diet for you you know you have to, and that's why we all love sports and things like that because your ability and your resolve, all of it gets proven right there, you know, on the field. And, um, so there's that aspect, but, uh, there's things that I just don't like. I don't think anybody likes it. This is the thing I would, I would hope that everyone in Canada would have the same. And I know a lot of you guys do, and I know it's in Australia and I know it's in England and I know it's in like whatever country you want to pick. We're all proud of the places we from and we should be a hundred percent um we should all want to do well and i want everyone to do well you know that's it's not about us versus them in that regard but um i think also i mentioned that i've been close to the product i've been sewing it i've i have health problems from sewing <laughs> not bad ones but literally like years like so my right side if i sew too much like my right side's more developed from pushing the pedal on the right side. And it's been an issue for me in running. I've had to overcome at different times, you know, to do some PT on it. But um, I, I just think that for me, you're wondering like, well, how did the product get to where it is? I actually push back on the evolution idea here where the sandal does not evolve. You leave, leave it on a table. It's not going to have a random mutation that's going to be beneficial for the species. It's, it literally is me or my team or whatever, whoever's working on it. And we're like, Hey, we want to improve X, Y, or Z. I really like the idea of development and research and, um, those concepts, because I don't feel like I'm a passive victim of history. Um, I need to take charge of who I am right now in my situation. And so, um, and I've just wanted I know other people want to go the other way and it's cheaper and all that, but I just don't want to do it. And I think it has benefited the product immensely. Um, I'm just dumbfounded. Like I was listening to the podcast with you and Anya and you both had great things to say about it. I, I was completely unsolicited. Uh, I had no idea you'd worn them that much or it were whatever. And I was just shocked. And, and I think that that all that time testing with a very similar goal to yours, um, utility first, I think I'd love to say style first, but we're not as stylish as I'd like to be. But the point is 
it has to function right or we're not going to put some we're not going to sell something that's going to hurt somebody's foot yep. yeah and so the the function has to be right and i've had my in my mind for at least you know 10 years now since i've had the sandals well why don't why don't the sandals you know why does the heel strap you know dip down i don't want our heel strap to dip down and why can't i adjust x y or z i can go to the store and buy any other product i want that'll do that and um and then so just a corollary going back through this whole process it's sad to find out how many what a burgeoning you know great industry of apparel and all that was here even in california 20 years ago and it's just gone yeah and yeah. it's not that the people wanted it to go i i'm gonna totally say it's our politicians and our big corporations have created laws that have forced it overseas in my opinion so that they could go oh well we couldn't do anything about it we have to because of regulations we have to go overseas that's a bunch of garbage we've just all been sold out a bill of goods we've been sold out um for decades now and i think that's part of the awakening is um sadly the corruption is so vast and so deep but don't let it get you down take it into your own hands what you can do um whether it's you know buying food locally or making your own products or whatever i mean it's a wonderful thing that you're doing and i think that makes me happy when i see people like uh getting back to just being human again, being productive, being industrious and and taking charge of their um, situation. So it's helped the product immensely. Um, it's something I'm like firmly committed to. And, uh, and so again, I think it's, it's hard now, but I'm building something better for the future is what I'm hoping to do. Yeah. Less common overall, like, of long-term building, like building for generations, building with a long-term mindset. I yeah. think that's one of the biggest drawbacks actually of politics is that it's a transient job. And so no politician is ever incentivized to actually think long-term, um, yeah. you know, to think 50 years to, to, to put every decision, like a, to me, someone who's in decision-making pro, uh, position, like the CEO of a country is, is the president and the prime minister. Yeah. You know, a good CEO thinks, well, what are the implications of the de this decision a decade from now or 20 years from now? Whereas yeah. I think the decision-making process with a politician is like, what are the implications of this to get me reelected or to get me a good job when I'm done here? And it's such a or, divergent or, set of interests. It's like, obviously that doesn't work. Or to get paid from this lobby, you know, right. like next week. <laughs> it's like just the fact that we think that works is so absurd. Um, it's so, it's so bad. Then the whole point political, this again, a political decision versus a um, uh, a decision that has some existential value for a lot of people, and it's and I you know and I'm really painting like all sides of the aisle here. Yeah. Um. It's it's a it's a bad situation. They've all sold us out, and it it really it's unfortunate because again, people are here. They want to work. They need to work. Work is part of our dignity as humans, and uh, there's great jobs and the technology too that we're missing out on. Um that is required, uh, even in the, you know, the apparel industry, there's so much tech and so much innovation from the past. That's still, uh, necessary. And so it's unfortunate. But yeah. Hopefully that. I agree. And I think, you know, we make our balance beams, uh, at soul freedom in Canada and, 
you know, it's more expensive to get materials here. It's more expensive for services like machining uh, and milling and engraving. But at the end of the day, the fact that I can go to a local company and support them and their employees and feel good that we're making a high quality product that we have um, more control over, right? Like we have a better yeah. quality control loop. We have an instant relationship with the people who are making the product. They're not on the other side of the planet making it uh, in a factory that's like dirty or not paying their people as well. Like you never know, but just the idea that you can go to a place, shake a human's hand, have a business relationship with yeah. someone in your area, pr help provide someone meaningful work that works in that, um, you know, milling shop, whatever it is. I really do think that it is a sense of pride that like, if you want to make a great product, um, you, I, I think making a great product is like just a different mindset versus just trying to sell a lot yeah. of something. And, uh, yeah. I really do think it's, for sure reflected in the quality of what you make because your feedback loop the fact that you are on the ground literally making it every day testing it wearing it um makes for just a faster iteration cycle and a more uh, you have a tighter relationship with your product versus sending it somewhere else to be made and i think that really does show and um yeah i really respect it i really do and i think that the i think that the average person i think the free market recognizes quality and recognizes domestically made products and if people are given two choices where there's an equally good product one of them is made in china one of them is made domestically i think most people yeah. are going to choose the domestic one uh, even if it's slightly more expensive because i think that's yeah. that's how we vote for products that reflect our values is to, is with our wallets that's really the most meaningful vote you can make in anything and um yeah i agree yeah. i agree with you yeah i'm just happy to be I, I'm I'm really grateful to be part of what I perceive as the solution. I'm also happy to work with a lot of great people. That's the other thing, you know, and so there's all those struggles there too, but just, you know, again, just being alive and working with people, um, that's, that's what, you know, it's what being human is about. And, uh, I'm happy to be part of that and so grateful, you know, there's people here that they got. They met and even got married right here at this workshop wow. and uh it's just cool man i mean um just grateful for that opportunity to be part of it and so uh, and i want to give something to my kids and all that kind of stuff like everyone else for sure meaningful work meaningful relationships enjoying the process instead of you know um you know dragging our butts and and you know you know i, I think when you work with people you love to be around and when you find meaning in the work you're doing, it just upgrades your life. And it doesn't change the fact that there is work to be done. But at the yeah. end of the day, you can just, and and like you said, you know, the story about your daughter, one of the things Zach Bush said on this podcast, I asked him, um, how do you define health? And he gave three words, he said, connection, um, creation, and joy. Connect with the world around you and the people around you create something whether it's music or a product or something um and joy it's like being in joy is actually mostly a choice um because you have yeah. people in any circumstance that can actively choose to be in joy or out of it and sometimes it's just reconnecting with the fact that that's choice and reminding ourselves that it's up to us if we um you know being in joy and being happy is is often a choice i guess is what i'm trying to get yeah at uh, Victor Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning. It's a good one. Um, I, I would recommend it. It's a shorter read, but uh, I'm just going to myself a little air. Yeah, no worries. I, uh, um, I think it's a great show. Uh, that's another good example. That's one I 
you know, these were people that were like in concentration camps and they found a way to find meaning and joy in some of the worst circumstances you can imagine. So it could be done. Yes. Um, anyways, uh, so I, I guess the, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I know you're a busy guy and actually, you know, I had these questions prepared, but just the stories and, and the conversation has been better than any of the questions I could have asked. Um, <laughs> I guess, I guess the one thing is like, it's been a, you know, probably a meandering journey. Like you said, it's been kind of a blur. Um, you know, one thing I'm always curious about is from people on the ground, making the products in the natural footwear world, you know, someone, um, comes to you and is curious. So you're out for a run, you're wearing your shamas and a person in like Hoka's comes up to you and says, you know, I don't know much about the shoes you're wearing, but they look really interesting and I'm pretty curious. And you got, you got, you know, a minute with them. How do you explain natural footwear? I'm always curious to hear, like if you had 60 seconds with someone who has demonstrated curiosity, good faith curiosity and wants to know more, yeah. how do you give them like the 101 in 60 seconds about why they should even care about learning more or wearing natural footwear? Well, first off, I think it's so great that you are doing that job more and more and it's <laughs> less on me to do it. And so that's great because, yeah, I I feel like I've been trying to communicate this stuff. And, and there again, there's always these other resources, more some people that are specializing it, in it and doing better than than like I'm going to do because I have my weird take on it and you guys are so focused on it. But I guess the thing I would tell people right off the bat is, you know, I used to have like these little spiels in my head that I would give people. But um, the first thing, you know, they go, isn't it hard walking around in just thin sandals? And I tell them, well, I would tell them the, the gymnast thing. I go, well, you know, there's, you're actually pushing down harder than you need to. Like, have you ever taken your shoes off when you get home? Like 95% of the world, they take their shoes off when they get home because their shoes are killing them. <laughs> yeah. And they get this and, relief, uh, but they don't put two and two together. <laughs> I go, Hey, do you, um, I go, do you, uh, do you ever walk barefoot around the pool on the concrete? And they're like, yeah. Does it hurt? Like, no. What about tile in your house or hardwood? No. Well, there's a reason for that. And this is actually what I think is important. This, cause I'm a why person. Why does this happen? Why does that? I think what's so critical is to understand it's not placebo, it's uh, physiology. And so you, it's, you're talking about like, again, we're hardwired in. You either have your brain hardwired into your feet or you dole out the senses with this foam, like an inch of foam. And now your response time is just a fraction of what it used to be. Or if you're barefoot on a hard surface, you don't need to push in your your brain knows instantly, like in three, uh, in like three milliseconds that it can lift up again. Like that's how quickly we hit it when we're running. And so that keeps you comfortable. So you're just not pushing in harder than you need to. You can actually relax at that point. So that's like one thing I would tell people, um, you know, that's a pretty common one. Um, I talk to people about arch support. I go, do you even know why you have an arch? People are like, I don't know. I'm sure I've, I've never, I've met maybe one person in the last 10 years that actually knew the answer to that question. Why do you have an arch? Well, it's a, it's muscles, tendons, ligaments, bones. It's a structure that compresses. It's an arch. It's a, it's a leaf spring on the bottom of your foot. And if you put something in the way, it can't function Hmm. like that simple. Um, I was reading this wonderful book. It's called, uh, 
Tread Lightly. I recommend it. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, this guy, Steve Larson, he used to run this blog like back in the, you know, like 10 years ago on minimalist shoes. And he co-authored it with this guy, Bill Katowski, who was from the, the, one of the founders of the natural running center with Mark Kukazella. Hmm. I don't know if you remember him. Yes, I do. And, and, uh, so he wrote this book, but I always want to give people like you guys do this really well, but the science of, or the reasoning, like it's not placebo. You're, you're going to run better, lighter, faster, all of that. When you run barefoot, you're going to walk better when you walk barefoot. Um, I was, I'll give you an example from yesterday. We're walking down the fit, like literally 3000 feet straight down off of Yosemite falls. And all these people are in hokas. And I see this one kid and he's like twisting and turning over every rock as he's stepping down. He was really struggling to get down. He had these big fat padded. It was, it was like a hoka. Sorry, Hoka, I'm not trying to trash you here. Just you represent bigness in shoes. Yes. And he was just struggling to do this. Humans do not walk downstairs on their heels. Right. Try it. You're going to fall over. And so if you're not landing on your heel when you're walking down a stairs and you're not landing on a heel on your heel when you're running, why do you have foam on the heel? It's just, it's completely absurd. Hmm. And this guy was having to overcome it. The heel comes down because it rests. It helps the body. In my, I, I'm hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn or saying something wrong because you're the expert. No, you're here. good. But it 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 allows your your muscles to relax to relax and rest for that brief moment. It's very critical. But it's not the initial point of contact unless you're just walking. But going down, running, or even walking downstairs. You can't do it. And you were, it's like, so now we put this huge impediment to this guy setting his foot down, trying to, he was just having the hardest time and everyone's having a hard time coming down the hill. So, um, I just try and tell people, and that's way more than a minute. Uh, you just aren't built that way and your footwear is working against you. And it's really unfortunate. You'd be much more comfortable if you didn't. Yeah. It's really, it, it really does manipulate movement in a negative way. And for many, it gives people permission to move poorly because they actually mask or numb out the signals they would get otherwise to move more efficiently. Like for example, a heel strike and running doesn't happen when you wear, when no. you don't have cushioning. It just doesn't. It's like, that is the, that signal that your heel hurts when you smash it into hard ground is the rate limiting step to basically nudge your body. Like, don't move that way. It's not good for you. Yeah. Um, and we just numb Vibram that out with a, cushioning. Vibram did a study with, uh, with, uh, Daniel Lieberman and it showed that in six weeks when they didn't give these people any training and obviously Vibram paid for it, but I trust them, uh, that they, they found that he, uh, the heel striking was like cut in half. The amount of people that were heel strikers, everybody shifted basically in six weeks. Like maybe one person hmm. continued to heel strike. Even a heel strike, right? There's gradations to it. Yep. There's the difference between straight leg and right on the heel. And if you watch me run, I'm going to run pretty flat. You'll think it's flat footed. I'm going to be like the metatarsal runs almost all the way back to the to the heel, close to it. So the slower we run, in my opinion, we get closer back to the heel. The faster we run, the more we're up towards the front. And that in and of itself is an amazing, uh, I can't even describe what it is. 
I, anything in a machine doesn't really do it justice. But the fact that we have three modes of transportation or of movement and that we shift seamlessly between them, it's just, it's incredible. It is. Yeah, I think people, it's so easy to underestimate the complexity and the intelligence in our bodies to do yes. things efficiently without us needing to tell them what to do. Um, Josh, this has been an, an awesome chat. I look forward to maybe doing it again in like six months. Uh, anytime, anytime. You're a great storyteller. And uh, I really appreciate that because I think story is how we transmit information in a human way. Back again, very to human. getting back yes. to human. And uh, yeah, to anyone who hasn't tried or seen Shama, check them out. Like I said, they're my favorite daily driver. I think they're the design has just been polished and refined so well that it, it's like the one shoe that I tell people it. I wear it because it feels like I'm not wearing shoes, but I know my feet are protected. And I think that's kind of the goal from a, yeah. a utilitarian perspective is like, I want to wear shoes that don't feel like I'm wearing any shoes and um, they never stink. They're amphibious. They dry, like just everything I want in a shoe where I can literally roll it up, put it in my bag. If I don't want to wear them, um, I get from Shamus. So thank you, Josh, for taking the time out of your day to, you know, share some stories and share the history of Shama with, uh, with the foot collective. Um, everyone listening thanks for joining us today um and again josh thanks kindly for uh, offering us some of your time is there anything you want to say before we sign off no just uh thanks nick it's been a lot of fun i really enjoy it i this is this has been an absolute uh pleasure and i hope to do it again someday and i'm glad that i think we're going to start um sharing some of your guys uh resources with our our customers in the near future i'm looking forward to that so i, I really appreciate what you guys are doing Awesome. So keep up with big work, man. Likewise. It's always nice to talk with allies on Team Foot Health from around the world, whether they're yeah. making products or educating people. I think we're all on the same team. It's a big problem to solve. We're all solving it in different ways. We're all different pieces of the puzzle. And actually, our hope is maybe for 2024 to start organizing um, a, a foot summit from around the world. So get a, get all the people on Team Foot Health into one spot, create great content, connect with each other in person, do some activities. And uh, yeah, for everyone listening, thanks for being here. And we'll catch you next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, join our brand new free community. Inside, you'll find a growing library of education, training, and resources to help you resolve common conditions, restore natural function, and explore your body's potential with a community that's there to support you along the way. To join, just head to thefootcollective.com or you'll find the link in our show notes.